0: Are you looking for valuable business advice to reach that seven-figure revenue mark? Do you want actionable tips to properly navigate through every business challenge you encounter along the way? Let Tersh Blissett and Josh Crouch be your guide in getting you to the top here at Service Business Mastery. Tune in as they sit down with world-renowned authors in business, leadership, and personal growth who share valuable insights about management, marketing, pricing, human resources, and so much more. Let their nuggets of wisdom gold guide you in owning a thriving, profitable, and ever-growing business. Here are your hosts, Tersh and Josh.
1: Good afternoon and welcome back. If you have been on social media today, you're probably sick of seeing Tersh and I. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a couple episodes that we, we had scheduled and worked with. this is our third one today and uh, this one is actually a return visitor from about a year ago um, and we're going to be talking about uh, it's going to be on the venture capitalist side of thing and Tersh, I honestly don't remember what you titled this episode. <laughs> I, it's, uh, I think it's how to know if, if, a, if a, the deal is a good deal or a bad deal. And yep, with it. with the with the home service industry, we've 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 all seen it. Especially if you're watching us on social media, you're probably a part of some of the same groups we are. There is a lot of money coming into the home service industry, primarily even over the last two years with with COVID and people being home and remote more. So we're gonna. This is a, gonna be a very interesting topic for uh, you as as Claire, is someone who uh, helps specialize in getting your business ready for that. So that way you kind of plug the holes in your ship and, and, and fix things. So Mm -hmm. church, I don't know if you had anything to ask on that, but
2: yeah, I mean, my biggest thing is, um, I don't know. A lot of times we think that if we just throw money at it, that's going to solve the problem. So, uh, Claire's (laughs) going to, uh, debunk that myth a little bit for us. Uh, the last time that we spoke, uh, you may remember it was episode and we'll put a link in here so you can listen to it. If you missed it, it's a uh, 464, um, how to grow your business without sucking at it, uh, which was a great conversation, but I'm super excited, uh, to have Claire back on the show and, uh, to learn more from her. And so also there's, um, a download also. Uh, so we'll talk more about that, but, uh, I'd like to welcome, welcome you to the show. Claire. Welcome Claire.
3: Thank you, guys. It's great to be back.
2: Well, I didn't it's totally to watch have my you first so much.
1: intro here? So <laughs> oh, you did good. You
2: did, good.
3: did
1: <laughs> Awesome. Well, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to great to meet you uh, for the first time. And Tersh, it's great to see you again.
1: Likewise.
2: Tell us a little bit about you. And for those who haven't heard, uh, you didn't hear the last episode and. Um, don't aren't familiar with you what exactly is it that you do
3: sure so uh i I think my intro last time i explained that i'm a corporate survivor so i spent uh (laughs) close to 20 years of my career in in corporate america and lived to tell about it uh and about 10 years ago i went out on my own um kind of dabbled for the first couple of years Uh, i'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs in your audience can can relate right just sort of uh it took a while for me to find my groove and to sort of settle into what i wanted to focus on as a business um and so two years later in 2013 i founded my company talent boost um and i uh, you know as an entrepreneur you go through a lot of pivots you evolve um you evolve or die so you know it, it one of the things that i learned was to constantly um reevaluate where i where i am how i'm serving my clients um, and where i want to sort of take my my business and my game to to a next level um, and so now i am focused primarily on the private equity and vc community um, to help them invest in the right businesses that will deliver the returns they're looking for Um, because, you know, no, nobody's in this game to lose money. Right. So there are ways that we can uh, sort of help them do that. Um, And on the other side of the relationship, I work with entrepreneurs themselves to uh, to help, you know, get them ready to grow and to scale. And if investment is part of what they need in their growth plan, help them attract the right investors to support their ascension to that next level. Sweet. Good you job. Can tell no, our no, third no, one today. No,
1: <laughs> Tersh is out of questions.
2: No, It's it way too early in the show to be out of for me to be out of questions. Uh, but I think the biggest one for me is uh, why why now? Or is it just because of social media we're hearing about it? But why are we getting bombarded with uh, VC and even angel investment money? uh, into the service industry? Is it because, I mean, I've heard accountants say that they did their, uh, HVAC guys taxes and then they're like, wow, you're making, you know, are you're really making this amount of money. And then they, you know, buy an HVAC company based off of that. Um, is, is it something to do with that or is it something completely different? Like what, why all of a sudden we see this cash coming in?
3: Yeah, you know, it's it, it's interesting, we were talking before the show that, uh, to me anyway, I think it's a very good sign that this industry is seeing so much positive attention from the investment community. Um, like I said before, investors don't get into bed with a business to lose money. So if they are paying, you know, particular attention to the service industry, um, it's for good reason. It's because they see a potential for growth Um, They see a potential where there isn't um, enough competition to render them, um, you know, kind of fruitless in terms of their investment. Um, You know, and I think we live in a time now where so many people are out on their own and so many people are um, kind of wetting their entrepreneurial appetite. And I think on the other side of that relationship, there are so many people, Josh, you and I were talking about this right before the show. There are so many people that are in our own, you know, inner circle that we didn't even realize are in the investment game even as a side thing right Um, everybody seems to be an investor in something and it's no longer just your traditional portfolio of stocks and bonds people want to be part of a business an entrepreneurial venture an idea that is you know on the cusp of something great tomorrow i mean heck if i could own at least a piece of spacex i'd be all over that because elon musk is like my spirit animal you know like but but everybody on on you know grand and small scales these days it seems um, you know is, is getting involved in the investment game so it's it's interesting to see and I think it's a it's a very optimistic perspective.
2: If anybody is listening to this and they just happen to have a little bit of cash that they just want to throw out, like hey, I um, you can invest in me. I'm, <laughs> I mean, we're we're cutting edge. We're we're definitely cutting edge. So. Throw that money this way. So you I'll, I'll, tell
3: I'll, look, at, look at your brand colors, dude. Like you are all about sporting that orange.
2: I Savannah. am. I try. Oh. We we try orange and black. Yeah, that's, that's what we're trying to do for sure.
1: Black and that Savannah heat, man. That I don't know how you do that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a it's an acquired taste. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So Claire is, is back to like the show title and stuff. So <clears throat> obviously. I think because the home service industry hasn't gotten this attention in the past, there is the possibility for them to be someone throws a number at them that, which is a good number for maybe the person doing the investing, but maybe for the service business owner, they look at it like, Oh, that's, that's a big number, bigger than what I'm used to. How do they know? How can they even start to understand if that's a good deal for them? If that's not a good deal for them and where they should go from there.
3: Yeah. You know, it's such an important question because we can get so dazzled by the, by the money, right? Somebody just decides to, to come in and, you know, stake us as an angel investor or buy us outright. Um, and they just put a dollar figure down, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a founder of a business is, is hard work. It's a labor of love, as we all know. Um, and sometimes you're, you know, you're, you're living pretty thin. You're living really close to the margin. And, oh, yeah. uh, Somebody if somebody kind of times that, you know, at the right at the right time with the right offer and the right, you know, number of zeros or number of commas, it can be really appealing to throw logic and caution and reason out the window and just you know take the money. Um, but Tersh, you know, you you alluded to this in your in your opening comments. Um, money isn't necessarily going to solve what might be, you know, cracks in your in your foundation. So I would say to those people who are in that. Um, that bittersweet moment of getting an offer, maybe even out of the blue from a potential investor, I call it bittersweet because it's very flattering to get that kind of an offer. Yeah. But it can also be very dangerous if you're not actually prepared to do the right things with what that money will allow you to do. Right. What do you mean by that? Well, so when I, when I work with businesses on, on that side and either, you know, they say we want to get to the next level and we need some funding to do that. Or we got, you know, an offer out of the blue and it's, you know, a bigger check than we had ever dreamed of and all our problems are solved. Um, That's probably the biggest myth in terms of of being an entrepreneur, that money is going to solve everything. If you have a sudden influx of cash, um, it does not mean it's going to give you all the answers for how to get to the next level. <clears throat> you know, there's a, there's a reason that these mega million dollar lottery winners are even worse off what a year yeah. later oh, after yeah. that after getting that windfall because they don't have the foundation built for how to responsibly use and draw from that money, right? Mm. Um, and so it's it, and I and I hate to use that that analogy, but unfortunately, no, it makes sense it's true for a lot of so for a lot of businesses.
2: Yeah. It's wild. And you, you, they even have shows about that, you know, about the the lottery winners and where they are now and that type of stuff. And, and it's crazy how true that is. Uh, I have a friend of a, uh, a friend of mine, uh, his dad actually won like this crazy, like this, he came up to me at a gas station, right? Now we're small town. We, we were a small town. Like everybody knows everybody when they pull up at a gas station, but I'm pumping gas and he comes up and he was like, Hey man, did you hear somebody won that million dollars or $5 million, $10 million, whatever it was? It was a ridiculous amount of money. And uh, I was like, yeah, I did. I heard they, they won it here in town. Like that was the craziest thing. But we're on the interstate. So we're like a a, a pit stop. We're halfway between Atlanta and Savannah, uh, where I actually live. Not halfway, but we're at a at a point to where people like to stop and get gas. And so I was like, oh, it must have been somebody stopping, got gas and blah, blah, blah. He was like, no, it was me. I was like, get out of here. You're what? kidding me. Wow. He was like, no, I, it was me. And I was like, are you serious right now? He was like, yeah. I said, what are you going to do? He said, uh, I think I'm going to pay off my truck. I was like, that's what's up. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. That's that's wanna hear. And he was like, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I said, are you gonna quit your job or anything like that? He was like, No, man, I love shrimping because he's a shrimper. He's like, I love <laughs> shrimping, man. I'm gonna keep shrimping. And uh I, I had just fixed his air conditioning at his house, never sent him an invoice for it or anything like that. It wasn't really anything. He was like, and I don't don't let me forget I still owe you that case of shrimp for the for fixing the AC. And I was like all right, man. Whatever. Like you See, just won us millions all of dollars.
3: That's oh, yeah. that, what I love when you can when you can pay for your <laughs> your uh, your bill in shrimp. That's just that's how happen.
1: we roll here in South Georgia. I am literally. You said shrimping, and my mind went to Forrest Gump. Right. i right. mean, that's Savannah.
3: Even you know. Forrest caught himself, a new boat.
2: He, uh, you know, he actually, he ended up buying him a new boat and he's out there shrimping all the time, just making it. I mean, this has been two or three years that's ago. Awesome. He's still just as humble as he was back then. And I see him at church all the time. Just a great, great guy. And I'm like, man, that's, that would not have been me because I'd have two Corvettes. Actually, I'd have one for each day of the week. That's what I'd have.
0: <laughs>
1: Different color. Depending on your Absolutely.
2: Mood. One black, one orange, one black yeah, and but- orange
3: and i love that story because he's he is obviously the exception not the Absolutely. rule right Absolutely. and i think that the secret to the fact that he probably still has at least a, a million or so left of that of that oh, lottery windfall yeah. is that he stayed humble that's the word you just used and i think that's right like he stayed grounded in the life that he already had
1: exactly
2: and
3: that he had already built and all he wanted to do was maybe remove a couple of headaches so that yep. he wasn't worried about those while he was out there feeding his passion of being a shrimping boat captain. Right. <laughs> exactly.
2: Um, exactly. I mean, he, he definitely didn't buy a Bugatti Veyron because that would have been one of the things that crossed my mind. Like <laughs> can I afford one of them things or do they Trish, come in you've orange? Been
1: th- you've been thinking about coming in with some money for a while, haven't you? <laughs> my whole life.
3: Tersh, if you have
1: to
0: add
3: for costs, you cannot afford to <laughs> True story. Yeah.
2: <laughs> True story. <laughs>
1: oh, man. So, so
2: whenever you're, whenever, typically when you're thinking VC, though, um, in my mind, I'm thinking uh, these people don't necessarily want me to stay on board unless it's a transition period of like these other people are coming in and I'm transitioning out uh so in that circumstance would there be an issue with cash flow coming in or uh is it going to be a similar thing i mean especially if we lived on on thin margins prior to this uh and we're kind of used to living on thin margins um do you still foresee it being an issue or is there a chance that like we we take the money and then next thing you know, we don't have enough money to pay off all the debts and that type of stuff. I mean, obviously, that would be a bad move on whoever it, took it. But
3: Yeah. And, and and that's, that's right, right. It's kind of a poor reflection on the investor. If they, yeah. if, they uh, if they put all this funding behind a company, and then they they burn through it like that, you know, that uh, stereotypical lottery winner. Um, you know, I think on the investor side and on the entrepreneur side, they have to be really, really clear about what that next level looks like, right? Um, the investor will call that a value creation plan. Um, the entrepreneur will probably call it like, you know, my my point C, right? We got from point A, my origin to point B, where we are now that we're ready to kind of scale. What does that point C look like? Um, and I think the the entrepreneurs, especially, before they start, you know, lifting their heads up out of the day to day to look for investment and look for some, some cash to come in to help them to grow, really needs to be super, super clear on what that next level looks like, why they want to grow. Um, And then, you know, when they do start to court investors, the first thing the investor needs to look at is, did they get to where they are right now, through, you know, some strategy and some sound execution of their plan? Or was it blind luck? Um, And there are ways to kind of, you know, validate that. And, and, And most investors worth their salt have a very um, you know, consistent, very robust process for valuating a company and evaluating how they got from point A to point B. Um, it's the steps after that that become really critical, right? Because once you put that money down behind the company, you also have to make sure that the people in that company, especially at the top management level, have the capacity to take themselves to the next level. I was just talking to a, to a founder about an hour ago And uh, we were kind of talking about this concept. And he said, you know what, he goes, I've grown my business from, you know, from zero people to 50. But I know that to get to about 200 people, 250 and beyond, we're going to need, you know, some sort of an investment. And I also know that I'm not going to be the person to be the CEO of that bigger company. And and well, a lot of founders don't have that kind of self-awareness, but it's the rare founder who can take that, you know, that idea out of their head Um, You know, the the first scrappy years of a startup evolve it to a point where they do want to grow and scale and maybe take on an investor and still lead that larger system, that larger ecosystem, that more structured environment, that bigger team, that more, you know, uh, geographically dispersed sort of an operation. It's a very rare founder who can make that type of a pivot. And so it's really important from the entrepreneur side and from the investor side that you're able to assess that, that capacity for that leader to take that company to the next level. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to be you know, shown the exit as soon as they're ready to scale and they take on an investment, yeah. but it may mean that they need to shift into a different role. Maybe they're more of an advisor. Maybe they're a mentor to you know, the next wave of, of new hires. Um, you know, maybe they're more of a, a business developer than the CEO. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it really does depend on the person, but it is a very rare founder who can pivot from that sort of scrappy model of envisioning yeah. an idea and building a first team around it to really leading that company as they grow and scale.
2: How do they know that, though? I mean, how, like, and and also the investor, does the. I mean, how does the investor come in and say, hey, look, you're just not the guy for the, you're not, you don't fit. <laughs> this person uh uh, we like where you've come but uh we don't think you're gonna get and would they ever have that conversation because maybe the uh the founder is perfectly fine with it but if nobody ever came like say say somebody came to me and said hey we're looking to purchase your company um, but we think that your role would be better suited doing x y and z and then I come back to him perfect that's exactly what I want to do I don't want to be the CEO of the XY uh, of the, the larger scaled company um, do that is there ever a situation where the investor never says it and then they just pass by and and like pass on the on the sale because of never having that conversation
3: it- Yes, and this is and this is where you know it, it's bad enough if they pass on that conversation and then you know therefore pass on making that investment in the first place. It's worse though, and this is where it goes off the rails. If the investor commits to you know putting their money behind a company, whether they just you know uh, put in an equity stake or they outright acquire that business, if they don't do that due diligence right after the decision to invest to make sure that you know, the, those people, especially at the top of the business that they're acquiring or investing in, have the capacity and capability to to lead to the next level, or to your point, even want to, right. And I think that's the, the biggest tipping point where these deals can fail. Um, and that's not just my perspective. Um, Bain and Company, which is like a you know a big time, big high ticket consulting firm, um, they put out this private equity uh, global study earlier this year, and they said the biggest reason deals fail is the quality of the top management team in the business that you're acquiring or investing in, um, and it's it's quality in terms of the capacity. Do they actually have it within them to lead this company to the next level? The capability side, do they have the skills? and also the buy-in. Are they truly bought into what it's going to take and what the role is going to be of that investor to get them to this, this next point in their evolution? And on the flip side of that, the overwhelming biggest reason why deals succeed is that exact same variable, is the quality, the capacity, the capability, the buy-in, the mindset, the commitment of that top management team. And you know, not every investor And not every entrepreneur pays close enough attention to that. And it is absolutely critical right after you've made the decision to invest in a company or on the entrepreneur side, you've made the decision to go out and court investors that you assess and you measure and you evaluate that quality and that capacity. And there are ways to do that. And that's part of what I do when I work with uh, with both sides of that relationship. Hmm, Sorry,
1: I'm uh... (laughs) taking your words and putting them into the comments. So just in case people are passing by. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, well, I have a few. I've been taking notes also. But uh, so. how do I know beforehand? Like, how do I know if I'm big enough for even to be interested for anybody to be interested and what's the time like, what's the time commitment and the process involved in doing all of this? Because, uh, say, I don't know, we're a three million dollar a year company and we're like, okay, we'll, we'll sell, you know, that's interesting. People have mentioned it a couple of times, but then once it gets to the nitty gritty, once it gets to actually putting the, you know, uh, your dollars where your mouth's at, like, well, you know, rubber to the road type stuff. And then they're like, oh uh, yeah, we're not really interested. You're slightly too small for us. We, we need somebody at 5 million. Um, how do you how do you know before you go and put forth a ton of effort? Or do you just need to be at 10 million before you even start thinking about?
3: it? Yeah, it, it, it does depend. Um, and I think you you can, you can uh, get the answer pretty early on, um, you know, on the entrepreneur side of, of which investors are even going to talk to you um, at the level that you're at, right. So if you're a $3 million company, and you're looking to, to scale to grow to expand, etc, um, you know, to to, to evolve, and you know that you can't do that on your own, you're going to need the backing of some sort of an investor, whether it's an angel investor, a venture capitalist, a private equity firm, et cetera, Um, you know, anything beyond just a traditional bank loan, right? Um, You can, once you've sort of made that decision that this is what we are going to need, if we have any hope at all of getting to the next level, you can then pretty quickly find, um, you know, do, do we do we have are we at this uh that certain plateau that minimum plateau to even be looking at this um you know we're thank god for google right like we're in an age where we can find pretty quickly the answers to based on our size based on our you know our predictable revenue at this point what level of funding would we even be eligible for um you know and there are you know essentially matchmaker services that will put an entrepreneur in the path of prospective investors who will talk to a company at that level. So, you know, I would say just to answer your question, you can you can kind of validate pretty early on before you go too far down the road of, you know, developing what your pitch is going to be to a prospective investor, whether you are even at the level to get the kind of funding that you feel that you need.
2: Gotcha. And is there a, a calculator or a form that you would use to even guesstimate the amount of, of funding you're looking for, or like, how do you determine that? Like,
3: yeah. That's outside of my wheelhouse.
2: Um, <laughs> okay. But I
3: guarantee I I'm a hundred percent confident that they are out there.
2: Yeah. Cause that's my thing. It's like, if somebody came to me and said, well, how much are you looking for? Well, how much you got? that's about how much I'm looking for (laughs) we all
3: too much Shark Tank, right it's like well how how much is this worth? well you know I'll give you this much money for uh, you know a 33% stake yeah Yeah. is
1: there a good place Claire where um, people who anyone listening to this just is kicking around the tires and maybe wants to get some resources or something like that is there some a place that they should go or place that you know of whether it's through you or someone else
3: yeah. Um, so the easiest thing, other than just going to Google and then losing, you know, losing hours, going <laughs> down, right. and finding cute puppy videos and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, the the easiest first step, honestly, and I know we dropped the link um, somewhere in the notes here. Um, I put together a checklist and it's 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 a free download. Um that it targets kind of two, both sides of this relationship, right? The investors who are, um, you know, evaluating a company or have just, you know, acquired or invested in a company and the company side themselves um, who are exactly where you're describing. They're saying, you know what, we're, we're comfortable where we are. We're kind of content that we've gotten to this point B, but we want to see if we're ready for what's next. We want to see what that next level could look like. Um, That checklist is not going to tell you what that next plateau, how that's defined. What it will do, though, is ask you some really critical questions around the 11 levers that drive performance and profitability. And that is so important because before a company even considers growing, let alone seeking investment to help support that growth, they need to look at those levers and say, of these 11 that kind of drive performance and profitability... Which ones are, um, you know, do, do we have a competitive advantage because we're so strong in these leather levers, we could be promoting them more, we can be, you know, pressing our advantage compared to our competitors And which of these levers are real fundamental flaws for us right now that, you know, within a first conversation, an investor is going to see that sense that and run. So I would encourage anyone in your audience who's looking for at least one first step to um, kind of self-assess where they are from both the investor side and the company side, go download that checklist, try it out. Um, And if you do that, there you will also unlock an opportunity to book a free call with me um, where we can go through uh, a couple of those drivers in much more detail and you can get a much better sense of how ready you might be to grow if you're on the startup side, or how ready you might be to invest in a particular company if you're on the private equity side.
1: And we don't uh, we don't anticipate anyone trying to frantically type that uh, link in. So I did drop it really in, in the comments. I
3: apologize, Claire, Have you
1: ever heard of Bitly? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I didn't know you were going to put it in the ticker. I thought it would just get dropped the top.
1: Well, I put you on the spot, and I think we uh, we'll come up with something shorter next time.
3: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> but it is in the comments. You can go ahead, click on that. It'll take you to the checklist. Which then, uh, if again, if you are looking into this and, and starting that process, this would be a good place for you to start and have that conversation with Claire, where you guys can dive a little bit deeper into exactly where you're trying to go with the business maybe some maybe she can help identify some things that you need to fix before you get to that point
2: yeah what josh said good job josh <laughs> I take the I a
3: shorter you, link next you, you, time. We, t- since we're doing these episodes annually, next year I will get you a much shorter link. How about that?
1: <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, and you have to make sure Tersh didn't just eat lunch beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Josh. <laughs> awesome. Is there so we have the free checklist? Claire, is there anywhere else that uh, people should go if they want to get in touch with you? Maybe they don't want to do the checklist. Maybe they just want to schedule a call or something.
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, they can go to much easier link talentboost.net. That's my company website. Uh, there are uh, opportunities on there to book a quick call with me, uh, learn a little bit more about my work. And uh, yeah, I'd love it. So if, uh, if you're looking to have a conversation, no strings, no obligation, just uh, go out there and book a call. And let's chat. Okay, awesome. awesome.
1: You guys, you guys heard that's, that's a much easier link to remember is the checklist on there.
3: The checklist is on there, yes.
1: So you could just go to talentboost.net and then find
3: Yeah, you it. could Here. do that. But, you know, your audience <laughs> is still, so, like, super smart. Oh, I yeah. I expect all of them to type that other link in manually.
1: They are We smart. live in We live in the world of if it's not a clickable, easy button or something to remember, it's like, ah. Eh. You know, yeah, so, they
3: uh, they can go to uh, talentboost.net. There's a there's a link to the checklist, um, and they, there's a there's a button right at the top of that page that says download now. So if you want the if you want the Notes version, go straight there. <laughs> awesome, Sweet. awesome.
2: Thank you for coming on the show again, Claire. Absolutely,
3: um, I appreciate you yeah. having me. Yeah,
2: absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. And like you said, if you need anything, reach out to Claire. Um, she's Knows a lot more about this than any of us. So, um, but if you would like to have a conversation with me, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I just won't be able to answer
1: those questions that she can. But so. <laughs> well, he can talk to you about the shrimp and boat captain. I,
2: could, yeah, I, I can. I talk to you about to the guy
3: that guy who's got uh, some disposable income. So,
2: right. I, I might hit him up see if he wants to invest in the company. There you go. There
3: you go.
2: <laughs> Cool. Thank you again for coming on the show. And thank you, everybody who's watching this episode of the Service Business Mastery Podcast, a podcast focused on service business owners, managers, and technicians who are considering becoming business owners themselves. Until we talk again next week, have a wonderful and safe week. See ya.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Service Business Mastery. Now that you are equipped with essential business advice from this impactful conversation, you are one step closer to becoming the successful owner of your dreams. If this episode has been helpful to your business journey, don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and share it with other owners as well. Visit servicebusinessmastery.com to learn more.